everyone, and welcome to War of the Stars, a Star Wars podcast. Come to you, as always, from deep within the Outer Rim, far beyond the watchful eyes of the Galactic Empire. Joining me today, as always, is my co-host, Garrett Jones. How's it going, everybody? Good. And Garrett, uh, since this is your, not your baby, but you are, <laughs> brought this, uh, why don't you introduce our special guest today? That is yeah, joining us tonight. absolutely. So a few weeks ago, I had the absolute pleasure to be uh, a guest on the Bar Banter podcast. Um, it is fun. You get to have a nice drink, talk about all sorts of stuff. We get into discussions of philosophy, pop culture. It was a lot of fun. Um, and so uh, Travis is one of the co-hosts. He is joining us from, uh, you're in uh, Atlanta? Yes. Atlanta, Georgia. And I'm he's sorry. On hey, 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 hey! For, hey. I, no, no, I'm sorry for your loss. Oh, okay. okay. That's what. Yeah. I, no, That's I love true. Atlanta. I love. Mm-hmm. I love Atlanta. Yes. Yeah, that was a that was a rough series. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, at so, least you made it. But I'm a Cardinal fan. We we didn't do that good this year. So. <laughs> and I do not follow football. I follow hockey. So ba- baseball. <laughs> All right, so yeah, uh, on this week's episode, we are discussing uh, what we would do differently if we were given the reins of the Ahsoka series. Yes. Uh, Really quick, though, I know Travis watched it. Uh, John, did you catch the the Screen Junkies video that I sent you? I have not had a chance to look at it yet. Oh, dude, you are so good. I'm I'm sure I will. They always do a good job of those 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 videos. The uh, is the uh, what are the uh, oh is it the um. Uh, the honest, honest trailer, trailer. Honest, yeah. yeah. I love the honest trailer. Yeah, it was. It's it's so spot on. I'm um, I'm waiting for the how it sh- uh, for for them to do the uh, how it should have ended. Oh yeah, that, those are good too. Those are good too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we're like I said, we're discussing the um, the what we would do differently uh, in the with the whole series, mm-hmm. um, you know, things that we would tweak and change and and adapt. Um, and so, Travis, since you are our guest, uh, mm-hmm. before we jump into it, uh, first of all, we're going to let you go first. Um, cool. But I want you to give us a little bit more background because, I mean, obviously, I've given, I've talked about you being the co-host for Bar Banter, but want to give a little bit more insight as to, you know, you as a fan of the saga. Yeah. So, um, big Star Wars nerd. Um, I have the UCS Millennium Falcon right behind my shoulder over here, Mark and, or John, it says John, Mark, Tally. Yes. Uh, John, UCS Millennium Falcon. I've mm-hmm. got the, the X-Wing over here. I've got so many Star Wars Lego, and that's kind of what got me started on Star Wars. I've seen all of Clone Wars. I've seen all of Rebels. I haven't read a lot of Legends, but I know enough about Legends and some of the lore and some of the stuff that's not canon to talk about it but i i can't say i'm an expert on any of that right. stuff but um i every, every christmas year or time frame i try to re-watch a lot of the star wars and actually gary you don't know this i left out the fact that uh may 4th is star wars day when my wife selected that to be our our wedding day She's like, oh, what about May 4th? I was like, honey, that's such a good idea. That I think that's just the perfect date. There's nothing wrong with that date. Nothing else special. <laughs> and so once we signed it, 
we get back home and I'm like, honey, that's Star Wars Day. And she's like, what made the fourth beat? And she's like, oh, I hate you <laughs> so much. <laughs> and now we're married. We've been married like five plus years. So awesome. awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. That's awesome. We had a Star Wars themed uh, for our wedding too. Um, our the groom's cake has had little figurines of Luke and Leia. And we, uh, my wife had a little dog at the time, so R2 mm. was the dog. Nice. And then when we walked into, after the wedding, when we walked into the, um, for, the reception. for like the reception, they did the lightsaber crossing oh over. We got to, yeah. So I was, she said, we can get married on May the 4th. I don't want a Star Wars wedding. I don't really whole, want a whole lot of Star Wars in there. And I said, okay, that I think that's reasonable. That was a good compromise. Yeah. But what she did like is when the DJ asked for like our songs to play um, during different times of the wedding, you better believe I put the cantina theme down for the cocktails and, and hors d'oeuvres piece. Like while everyone's <laughs> eating, yes, we, the cantina theme was playing. Yes. And that was the only thing I got in, which I that that's not a part of the wedding. That wasn't a part of anything like specific. Maybe yeah. like two people caught it and was like, "Oh, I don't, I knew what this is." So, <laughs> yeah, but it was. Uh, I'm a big nerd, so yes. yeah. My my ex wife and I we did a Star Wars themed wedding. Her idea actually, um, wow. we we kept it we kept it subtle. I'm uh, the groomsman and I wore black and you know we had green and was one of our colors. Uh, we instead of like a unity candle or something, we did a unity mm -hmm. lightsaber. So double ended Very cool. green blade. It was awesome. Um, and we, we walked out to the, uh, the throne room March, mm -hmm. uh, when, when the ceremony was done and we walked in, uh, to the Imperial March, uh, into the reception, <laughs> uh, under a lightsaber arch. Although we did ours in the middle of June Ooh. and here Ooh. in central California, it mm -hmm. was it was June 21. It was the hottest day of the year. Nope. Longest day of the year. Cause it was the summer solstice. And it was, I think the temperatures that night were 105. I would have left. I believe that was, <laughs> I, that's close to our, I think that's pretty close to our wedding anniversary. Middle. It was, it was June. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, we're not here to talk about uh, weddings. We're not here. To, we're not here to talk about our weddings, as cool as they were. But Anakin and Padme got married in secret. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it worked for them. Trying to, to a point. Segue. Um, all right, so we're talking Ahsoka. We're, what we would change? What? Um, and so you've got the entire eight episode run to make your adaptations. So Travis, you're on the spot. Go. So the first thing I would do is call out the the pain and the struggle that Ahsoka was having with survivor's guilt a whole lot more. Mm. I uh, episode 5 I think it was was the um uh World Between Worlds where mm, she yep. was she was becoming the white uh the white witch or whatever you want to call her at this point the white jedi. Oh, so and, the white Ahsoka the White, Gandalf the Grey, same thing. Um, and and that that episode, while it was super cool, it didn't hit. It it I it didn't land for me in terms of the significance until I sat back and thought about it, and I had to be like, oh, okay, that was her forgiving herself and learning that lesson. But it took uh, that should have been apparent that there should have been crying, there should have been like 
a lot of anguish. There should have been some sort of like, I'm sorry, or some sort of emotion. And it was just, it fell flat. And that would be the first thing I would do is just make that abundantly clear as to what she, not with, not by just like saying it, but like through emotion and through acting to make it more obvious and more uh, uh, like an actual bigger part of the story. Cause I feel like that was, it was happening with Sabine about how she saw she couldn't really train her cause she, she was worried that she might have another dark side person, uh, you know, and, and, and ruin someone else's Jedi ness and, and wasn't able to save them. And it was just like, it was just like hinted at and it, mm-hmm. It wasn't a focal point until episode five, which didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So that'd be the first thing I changed. Okay. What else? Oh man. You're going to let me just keep rambling. I'll keep <laughs> rambling. Um, the Mortis gods was kind of a weird arc for me in terms of one, just keeping it completely open at the end um, mm-hmm. for the more casual listeners that if you watch the last episode, that's um uh, Balin skulls standing on basically a guy's hand and he's pointing off in the distance. That's supposed to represent the father of the Mortis gods. Then you see the brother and the sister or the daughter is uh, noticeably absent because she's dead. Um, so it was kind of hinted at. It was like, yes, that's probably what's going on here. Um, it, it, I wish that would have kind of been saved. Unlike the previous arc, I wish that kind of been would have been a nice real something to be saved and not really even known until the very end as a a really cool cliffhanger. But it was like everyone who knows star Wars kind of knew that was coming Mm. to an extent. And that would have been a really cool surprise to like, just have that kind of like there and like, Oh wait, this is, this is the place. Um, And I, again, I don't know legends enough to know if Peridia was mentioned and everyone already knew that. And I just didn't, but like, I think there were references. You saw Ahsoka and the Owl, which is a representation of the daughter. Mm. It just would have been really cool to save that as a big reveal cliffhanger at the end. And then also, I'm not sure what Balin's trying to actually do. Um, He doesn't... In in the sense that if you go back to... um, What's the... uh, If you go back to the Clone Wars... Anakin was clearly pegged to be the father's replacement. The, the, the Mortis God, the father, I forgot his name literally said the, um, your destiny is to replace me. That's he wanted him to stay. Then he let him go. Um, that's a, a clear one for one. Ahsoka is already a representation of the daughter. That's a clear replacement. Is Balin just some random dark side wielding, force user that's going to happen to be the brother that came out. Where's the relationship there? There's nothing established. Like it's okay if he is, but like build on that, give us some sort of connection to Ahsoka and or uh, Anakin that makes sense because right now it doesn't, it's just, he's just some random dark side force wielder. Um, And then Probably the other biggest thing that I would do is I, and I know Ahsoka was just basically a setup for what I believe is going to be the Dave Filoni uh, trilogy. That's what John's been saying. 
Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't think uh, some people have said there's going to be an Ahsoka too. There probably there might be, but it makes more sense to just do it as a trilogy, in my opinion. And so I would have wanted higher stakes for the trilogy. I think you should have killed off Ezra. Give give Sabine a real reason. Oh, she found him. She got him. She's her heart's full again. Give her a reason to train like hell to go and fight Thrawn. And then Ahsoka, who is now super wise, can come in and keep her from going to the dark side. Complete the arc. Save Sabine like she wasn't able to save Anakin. And Ooh, then okay. now you've got the everything's kind of complete in that respect. So I think you should have they should like had Ezra come back only just to die. And then that really like raises the stakes of the show and the trilogy. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so those are my, I have some other minor ones, but those are my big, uh, my biggest changes I would make. Yeah. We'll come back to those in a little bit. John, yeah. what about you? Well, the first thing I would do is I would, I would set up a lot more than what they did in the, in the previous shows. Like for one thing I would do is so the the op- one of the opening scenes in episode one is the scene where Balin and Shen are on the prison ship um, trying to break out uh, El Elsbeth. I can never remember her name. Morgan yeah. Elsbeth. Morgan uh, break out Morgan. I would have had that scene just the scene of them getting to the to the actual where she's locked up and rescuing her and mentioning um you know trying to we need to get thrown or we need to find grand admiral thrown something something to that effect at the as a post credit scene in um uh mando season season three that would be the that would be the post credit scene just that scene nothing before it Mm -hmm. so you're like so then when you get to episode one then you're seeing everything that led up to that um another thing i would do is i would introduce thrawn a lot earlier i would have introduced brought in thrawn a lot earlier and going back to the previous shows i would have sprinkled in little bits and pieces of thrawn's influence like seeing Mm, how Thrawn was influencing things even though he was so far away um the biggest thing i would change I would not have given Sabine force powers. Mm-hmm. There is no, if you, I mean, watching through Rebels, there's no indication she had force powers. I'm not saying that Ahsoka could not still train her, but just the idea of giving uh, me and me and Garrett have talked about how it's become like the Oprah Winfrey of force powers. You get force powers. Yep. You get force. Hundred percent agree. Um, you know, not everyone, because then you lose what makes having the force special. If Mm -hmm. everybody can just randomly have the force, it ceases to be special. And they, and they talked about that a little bit during the show about how everyone can touch the force. You just have to practice. It's like, no, I don't think that's how it works. Like, no, I don't think it should. Um, you know, again, I don't, I I have no problem with the Soka training her, mm -hmm. um, the it's combat like training that. was fine. It only adds to her as a Mandalorian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but and I like your I like your idea of, of killing off Ezra. Because to your point, 
about not giving her force powers. Maybe to just combine the ideas, she's struggling the whole like she did to use the force. She's good with the saber. And at the very end of the series, when Ezra gets killed, she uh, like something unlocks and she does something with the force at that point through passion and, and kind of a dark side motive. Yeah. That I would have been okay with. I would, I would have been okay with that too. But not like a general like, oh, I can grab my lightsaber now after just what she said. Yeah, I've been trying to practice. Uh, nope, I've not been practicing. I would have also switched out the zombies. I thought that was just a dumb idea. Oh, I love the zombie uh, I could not stay. I think it's just too, too much of overused trope. I would have switched that out for the Chiss. That that is who he's been secretly working with. Is he's been working with his own people, and that's who he's bringing back is the Chiss. Bring it, bring bring in the Chiss ascendancy somehow into the story. To... Is that not who is in the in the caskets? No, no, those are stormtroopers. Oh, we don't know. We have you don't no. We don't know. Could be the Chiss. They could be his people. Yeah, that that is true. Um, and. I we we again we talked about this throughout the series is at least get hints and ideas of what Thrawn's as the audience to kind of know what Thrawn's goal is. Mm -hmm. What is his end goal? What is his plan? You know, what is he trying what is he trying to do? And by by using the chiss, then you can bring it into, well, he's trying to save his people. He's trying to do something to either save his people or to bring them into prominence to, to rule the galaxy mm -hmm. that it's going to be the, he wants the chess to rule the galaxy. See, and that um, would make sense because the chess were from the unknown regions. Yeah. 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 And that's that the other thing is I, I don't know if I necessarily would have taken it outside of the galaxy. I would have kept it inside the galaxy, but in the, in the unknown regions. Yeah, it was far away from, because, yeah, I know you haven't read Legends, but in Legends, one of the things they talked about was how difficult it was to travel outside the galaxy. That it was virtually impossible um, to travel outside of the known galaxy. But now they're like, oh, yeah, no problem. We can travel outside the galaxy. People do it all the time. Or at least that's the way it seemed, you know? Yeah. Well, um, I mean... Uh there was three instances where we know people traveled out. Oh, I guess four technically the original uh, we'll call it migration of mm -hmm. the uh, night sisters from um, Peridia to Dathomir. Dathomir yeah. Um, right. And then when Thrawn was first taken out there by the Purgles, then, so that was, we don't know the first one. The second one was the sky whales or the space whales. Yeah. But the third one was a massive undertaking and it was a, a huge effort. It was really difficult for them to construct the intergalactic spaceship thing ring that they yeah. did. And then I have Sauron. Yeah, basically. <laughs> and then, and then Ahsoka just was like, Oh, you know, maybe we should have followed the whales from the beginning. And then she did it. So I don't think it's, I don't think it's hard. And I have a theory about why they needed to go out there but i'll, I'll come back okay, to that that's minute. fine that's fine okay um but yeah those are my those are my my big changes that i would make yeah so i'm i'm looking at things i mean you guys have been looking at things from uh 
story from story beats and stuff like that. And I think that's, that's absolutely fantastic. Cause I was looking at as well. And I've been like, since for the last couple of weeks, as John and I've been talking about the show, uh, I've, I've been coming at it from the storytelling perspective. And the first thing I would do is I, I would completely structure it so much different, uh, so much more differently than, than what we got. Um, while I like the opening scene of episode one with uh, with Balin and Shin, you know, infiltrating the prison ship, I think that's a great introduction for their characters. Mm-hmm. It gives us a sense of who they are as far as like the 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 level of manipulation that they're willing to go, which is definitely a dark side. Well, it's even a Jedi tactic. Yeah. To some degree. But where I would have started off is I would have had a prequel. Uh, or not pretty well, uh, a prologue going into that first episode where we see what's happening on Pridia. We see what Ezra is dealing with, what he is facing, the yes. threat that Thrawn is posing and why, he, and, and like we see him doing some of the things that he is doing. And maybe we don't know it's Ezra right away. Cause he's, he's under a hood. Um, he's with the turtle people or yeah, he's yeah. The turtle snail folks, but we get that sense and we we see just how dangerous Thrawn is, even though he's got finite resources. Mm-hmm. Okay, I like that. <laughs> then we get the uh, the introduction of Balin and Shin breaking Morgan Elsbeth out of, out of prison, and then okay, and so that leads her going for that map. Okay, that's what signals it. Because the fact that Ahsoka is going for this map at the very beginning, there's no reason for her to do that. Mm-hmm. So, from so we because the weakest part of it is the fact that Thrawn, who's supposed to be this big threat, nobody knows that. Nobody knows what kind of a threat he poses. And at the end of this series, we still don't because we a do not know what's in those sarcophaguses. We do not know what his military cap- uh, capacity is at this point. And the other thing is we need, like, I would completely revamp the whole writing process because the people who were in charge, and I mentioned this last week, they, they were writing an intelligent character from the perspective of a writer who is not themselves intelligent. Like, like it's like they took base elements of the character from the lore, from what was decanonized. And they're like, well, we can work with that, but none of the decisions that Thrawn made were smart. He kept sending out troop after troop after troop to kill people, and they got decimated. He lost a good portion of his forces in in those those skirmishes, and he had nothing to show for it. His enemies weren't killed; they were not even, you know, they weren't even debilitated in any way, shape, or form. Um, so having having that understanding of what kind of a danger he poses just on Pridia is a good start. But then back um, as we are introducing him little by little through the series, instead of waiting until episode, the end of episode five or going into episode six, which is way too late. I would in at one point I would introduce how he and Morgan Elsbeth were connected because that connection between characters is completely superficial we have no idea what their history is why they're connected we have no experience with their interactions in the past we've never seen them together other than this show so 
going back and having that little bit of history as a prologue to a, a, a follow-up episode would be a great way to explain why she's involved. Because otherwise you're saying, oh, well, she's a, a, a night sister, even though that was never talked about in Mandalorian season two. Even though she was never introduced in Clone Wars as a night sister. None of it makes any sense. So we need to have that background as well. Um, but the other thing I, I would really want to do, really want to change up, is the emotionality behind yes. any decisions that are made. Because all of it. Yeah. Because Travis, you hit the nail on the head. Uh, you know, you and I both watched the the uh, the honest trailer that Screen Junkies did, and they they talked about how she's monotone. There's no emotion in her in her voice. Where even as a gray Jedi, she she presented way more emotion in Rebels than she did in the way show. More. Mm. Way more. Way more. Oh yeah. And granted, it was a different performer. It was it was done through voice and not physical acting. But Rosario Dawson's a much better performer than that. Oh yeah. Yeah. And 100%. uh, and I think and having her being monotone and just really kind of wooden doesn't serve any purpose for for the character she's a much more um emotional being than that mm -hmm. if she would have gone if she would have gone to the monotone after becoming the white jedi that right. makes sense i i that would have been a part of the character shift that would have been a part of the i'm now wise to not use additional emotion to make judgments and i'm just going to see where the where this goes um but no, she was like that the whole series. So, right. Yeah. And then the the other major change is at no point, at no point would I have had Sabine be as front and center as she was. And I would not make her force sensitive at all. She's a Mandalorian. Yeah. Let's, let's stick yeah. with that. That's yeah. what grounded her as a character to begin with, because as emotional as she was, as erratic as she could be, that was one of the things that made her stand out amongst the crew of the ghosts is that she was a Mandalorian. Mm -hmm. She kept the armor, she kept the title, but she didn't run with most of the traditional Mandalorians. She didn't run with her family. She didn't, she wasn't partaking in, in uh, death watch. She wasn't part of, of the, um, the, well, the, the clans that, that Din Djarin and, and that, and, you know, Right. The children of the watch were a part of, you know, it was, it was a matter of, she just wanted to be herself. She was, she was an artist, but at the same time she wanted to rebel because it gave her purpose. Um, so it would, it would make sense that she would stick to those Mandalorian roots as much as possible. Which I, I like, I like your take on that. I do think we to to mine and john's earlier point about maybe doing it towards the end and getting force powers to, if it had been reversed almost and you see her training with ahsoka to become a jedi and she's not getting it and she doesn't have an identity anymore and she wanted to be a jedi to help maybe be like ezra um so that makes sense to me that she would train that way not get there be frustrated with not being able to get there and be like wait I'm a Mandalorian. Let's yeah. like I don't like forget this Jedi stuff. Like, let me go full Mando and yeah. embrace that. That would have also been a very cool way yeah. to see something at the end, like yeah, somehow I, get a jetpack and just fly onto the ship. Yeah, exactly. Like, where was her jetpack the entire time? I know, right. 
Um, no, I, I was having I was having a Tropic Thunder moment watching this. I'm like like. I'm picturing Brandon T. Jackson saying, "You're Australian, be Australian," but in this case, it's "You're Mandalorian, be Mandalorian." Mandalorian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. One thing, one like, thing that I didn't mention this. Um, I would like to have seen more is more of just showing because I don't really think we got a good sense, or at least if you were just a casual fan, of how close. Uh, not Ezra but Hera and Sabine were that mm-hmm. core group. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why Hera and Kanan referred to them as the kids right. constantly. Yeah. Because they were her, you know, like Hera was like a mother to Sabine. Yeah. But you never really got that sense watching. You got a sense that, yes, they were close. You know, yes, there was some connection, but I never really got a sense that you never really felt like you got that sense of just how close they were and just how, how tight they were. Well, and the, the thing that's really weird is like, like Hera was at least 10 years or so older than mm-hmm. Sabine in the, in rebels. Mm-hmm. And in this one in this show, they look like they're just a couple of years apart. Um, yeah. Like, th- like they're almost like the same age. And then Sabine was at least two or three years older than Ezra. And Ezra looks older than Sabine. Yeah. Well, he, he'd been by himself on a planet. Right, continue. but <laughs> yeah, you know, there's been he's not years. lived an easy life. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He hasn't had an easy life, but you know, he, he I don't know. It just like it felt the I know. casting felt weird to me yeah. because like you have these characters who are supposed to be different ages that all look to be about at least late twenties, yeah. early thirty. And, and maybe also a little bit more exp- explanation and exposition. For Ezra to, you know, of not just, you know, going to the, uh, you find Ezra, oh, what happened? Oh, how did you find me? Oh, let's not worry about that to the next week. So the Empire da- is dead now? Yeah. Really? Wow. Yeah. A Death Star? Well, and, and the other, that's another thing that comes to mind is that um, Ezra has no, and I mentioned this last week, Ezra has no agency as a character. Mm-hmm. He is more or less a MacGuffin. Uh, the same Don't way worry. the map was a MacGuffin, the same way Thank that you. the that map the same was way that the the, the uh, coffins on board Thrawn's ship are MacGuffin, there is yeah. no reason for that to be. If he is a sentient, living, breathing person, he should have had more agency. And that's that, that's why like having that prologue at the beginning of the series where he is facing off against Thrawn's forces, maybe it's he's just dealing with a squad led by Enoch. And Enoch reports back of a narrow escape on Ezra's part that almost left Ezra dead. That would make more sense for him because then it gives him a reason to fight, gives him a reason to do any of the things that he is doing. And maybe it's in that that he meets the snail folks and he sees, hey, the, okay, there's other there's other life forms on board uh, on this planet. My job as a Jedi is to protect life, and yeah. it gives him more of a purpose other than just mm-hmm. surviving. Yeah. Um, one thing that one one thing I would change at the end, and we talked about this again, is I just was left feeling flat with the with the end. Um, oh yeah. With it was almost like there is no sense of urgency to get off the planet. There's no. It just it was almost like they looked like Ahsoka and Sabine looked at each other and went like, "Well, I guess we're here now." 
you know, yeah, I would like to have seen a, a lot scene. Of, a lot of resignation. Yeah, a, a, a scene with maybe a, maybe Sabine, you know, almost mirroring the scene of Luke, you know, looking out into the distance of Sabine looking out, looking at, you know, the ship, seeing the ship going into light speed. And Ahsoka, you know, putting her her hand on her shoulder saying, you know, we'll get, we'll basically, we'll, we'll, we'll get back there. You know, mm-hmm. one way or the other, we will get back there. Uh, yeah. Trust, yeah, you know, trust the force, you know, something like that. And then that, that way, at least it's like, you know, like, okay, there's going to be, you know, you know, something's going to happen. They're going to, you know, get back. The space wheels will be back in about, a, a, you know, a couple weeks on the next well, migration and they'll just take them back. It's fine. Well, no, well, that's the problem though, because the pla- the planet they're on is the graveyard for the space whales. That's the, where they come to die. Yeah, I, I know, <laughs> but I, I just meant like, yeah, it, I, know. It, it, I know. It's such an easy. It was such an easy way out for them to be like, oh, how are we going to follow them? I don't know. Let's ask the space whales that took them there in the first place. Maybe we should have just led with that. Like, yeah, why even need a map? Just go talk to the stupid yeah. space whales. Well. <laughs> The other thing is like, how does how does Ahsoka know about this map? Because she she didn't know about it before. How did the map even exist? I don't. How this map was this this was the biggest thing I wanted to pitch was there's there was this map that it leads to Thrawn's location. They did this with uh, was it episode nine? I think with the um, the little pyramid thing. Oh yeah yeah oh, yeah. yeah yeah where it's like. How? Yeah, the Wayfinder. How? Who created? Who knew where Thrawn was? Created a map on how to get to him, and then hid them in, hid it in a, uh, a, a Death Mary temple. Like, yeah. like, how did that? Ha- that's if you would have said, "Oh, this is a Death Mary temple that helped chart the path of the Purgil to get to their destination." There's a good chance if we can figure out where they went, then. We'll figure out where uh, Ezra is. I would have been like, cool. But they kept just yeah. saying, no, this is a map to Thrawn. And it's like, huh? Who, who knows where Thrawn is? Who, no one knows where he is. How did he make a map? Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's really kind of ridiculous. Now, there's been some fan theory that the temple that Ahsoka was on in the first episode um mm-hmm that it's actually a temple built by another alien race mm-hmm. called the Zepho, which is featured yes, heavily in, yes. uh, in uh, Jedi uh, Fallen Order. Mm-hmm. Um, that would be a nice callback. It would be cool because then maybe we could get some connection back to um, Cal Kestis. Yes. Um, and they've already got the perfect actor to bring him in. Um, but like... I think one of the biggest problems I had with this is that there are so many, there are so many uh, missed opportunities mm-hmm. in this series. Um, like the, the connection back to the Sith inquisitor or the, the Imperial inquisitor, mm-hmm. there's no connection there. We, we have no explanation as to why no understanding as to why, when Maroc is killed, he just turns into a pile of dust where that go um you know you we had fan theories abounding that it's a, it's a it's a brainwashed cal Kestis or it's um star killer from being canonized finally by by dave Filoni. none of that panned out yeah and 
the the problem is there are so many opportunities where you could bring in characters, connect other threads that are that were from the same relative time frame, and they go absolutely nowhere. Yeah, I and, I, and I, I, I agree, but like I think I would have rather them focus on the story and get that right than bring in other fan service and, right. and loosen characters. But yeah, there are definitely opportunities missed, but I think like, right. And, I, start and not, with the story. I'm not saying that they had to bring those characters in. What I'm saying is we have these, these directions that go nowhere. They're like, they're like dead end alleys mm-hmm. for storytelling purposes. And you've got these characters that the, the only thing they do is they serve a function within uh, actually, they, they serve very little function other than it, it creates a nice little action set piece. And right, it's like, yeah. what's the point of having this character if you're A, not going to name them or give them any decent backstory? Like even like even minor characters in a, in a book or film are given some level of backstory. Yeah. If they and have what's funny is, is that's something that even George George himself did like mm-hmm. all of the characters in the in that the the uh, the cantina George wrote backstories for every one of them. There wasn't a character that didn't have some sort of a backstory that George himself wrote. So you would think that the man who literally learned at the feet of George Lucas mm-hmm. would have done. And who knows? Maybe there is. Maybe there is. We just don't know the backstory. Maybe there is a backstory. Well, it- but at this characters. point, doing it in hindsight would would feel a little bit like a cheat, yeah. Because then it's like we we didn't get enough time with that character. So what's the point? What's yeah. the point going forward? Yeah. Um, but like, see, for me at this point, Dave Filoni is he is quickly crossing that line to being at the level of of filmmaker as J.J. Abrams is for me, where it's all mm. flash, no substance, mm. and. Like some of the visuals were great. The fact that they use a lot of, a lot of um, in-camera work and physical, physical set pieces to mm-hmm. for the filmmaking, uh, a lot of a lot of tangible practical effects. That was great. That's classic Star Wars, using the digital stuff sparingly where they needed to. But when it comes to the story, this I like going back and looking at at. Uh, Clone Wars, looking at Rebels, uh, even looking at uh, Star Wars Resistance, the thing that I've noticed is that the episodes that were not directed by Filoni, the episodes that were not written by Filoni, had a little bit more fleshing out in the dialogue, in the decision-making, and in the characterizations than those actually... Like, Filoni is great at coming up with ideas and, and, and story beats, Mm-hmm. But connecting the dots and making them flow in a in a coherent story, I don't think that is his strong suit. Like he's got these ideas, these these visions for how things are supposed to play out, and he's looking at the big picture. He's great at the big picture. Yeah, looking at the details and hammering out the fine points is not something he's good with. I I, I just had this thought. We've you know as as fans a lot of times. And this isn't a knock on fans, fans, but we always ask we, a lot of times. Last we'll question is like, well, if we could write our own Star Wars story, what would it be? We've just seen it. Ahsoka was basically a fan fiction film. 
with all of the um, fan service and all these characters. And that's, I mean, I've seen people kind of mention this, that that's what Filoni does. He's fan service guy. You know, he brings yeah. in as much fan service. We basically saw the, the, the biggest budgeted fan film in the history of the world. And it runs for six and a half hours. Yes. Yeah, I, 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 I can't say I'm. Uh, I, I think putting him in the same camp as J.J. Abrams is a little too harsh. Only because, only because, I think, I think Dave is. I don't want to say still learning, but he's a little maybe hamstrung by Disney. Perhaps right, and and hamstrung. He had uh, six, four seasons of of storytelling 23 episodes a piece and he had time to lay it all out because those were really his i know he didn't necessarily direct everything but those stories that story rebels was his story that was his mm. baby and now he had to fit it into six and a half ep hours of of eight episodes and so a lot of it was probably cut on the cutting room floor a lot of it was probably just had to be like hey we got disney's like now let's let's get all the extra fan service on there. Let's do all the other things that we have to do to make this get out. Cause we're bleeding money right now. We need to, we need to win bad. And I think I want to still believe that that's the reason why he's not able to truly tell the story he wants to tell. Here's a question. Do you think we would have had a better show? If now I know that Ahsoka is kind of um, his baby, but if Favreau would have been in charge. I think Favreau would have provided some insight as far as, because like, like having looked at some of the, the way that Favreau goes about writing and directing is he's pretty detail oriented. And I think, I think he would have provided um, a, a balance because yeah. having Filoni go unchecked, and just doing the, the fan service stuff as Travis is describing. Um, I, I feel like he, they, they're like, okay, yeah, you get to run with this, even though there was probably some, some leashing on, on Disney's part, but he didn't have Kathleen Kennedy breathing down his neck. Yeah. Like, like JJ Abrams did with. Yeah. Uh, poor JJ. I know I gave him <laughs> some crap earlier, but poor JJ, he, he had. <laughs> so so nine. Work with. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> to be fair, I mean, and this is going back to we're kind of backtracking here, but to be fair, Abrams, you know, basically kind of wrote himself into a hole with with basically doing a, a beat for beat remake of. Oh, of course. Uh, yeah. Well, oh, I'm not saying oh, he's great. But, but. but so after the debacle of The Last Jedi and trying to, you know, regain some semblance of, of a cohesive narrative uh, with episode nine, uh, you know, he didn't have. Kathleen Kennedy breathing down his neck. Filoni didn't um, as much as she was on Abrams back in 2018, 2019. So I, I think having Favreau there probably would have balanced out the, Hey, we don't just want the fan service. We want solid storytelling. Yeah. These are great ideas, but let's balance it with, with, you know, with this other element that is crucial for making this work. See, that's why, that's why the first, I'd say two seasons of Mandalorian were actually decent, even though they were basically fetch quests for much of much of the runtime of those episodes. 
those first two seasons of Mando were were spot on good television because they told a good, solid, cohesive story from beginning to end. Mando season three felt unnecessary and tacked on. Book of Boba Fett felt tacked on. And then we've got Ahsoka. And it just kind of runs that gamut of these are all things that have been allowed to take place because we have writers who are doing fan stories mm-hmm. instead of filmmakers who are actually trying to just continue the saga and, and, and not just throwing out content because it's brand recognition. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I'm, I mean, I'm, and I said this about Ahsoka too. So take this with a grain of salt. I'm cop. I'm cautiously optimistic about um, skeleton crew. Because it seems like we're going to have completely new characters, completely new. You know, yes, it's still going to be set in the same time period where everything else is set, but it doesn't look like there's any connection to any of the characters at the moment. Which I think that's what made Mando Mando season one and season two work, especially season one work was there wasn't there wasn't a a connection to the other characters right away, other than you know, Grogu looked like Baby Yoda. Um, you know, I think that will be opportunities. Yeah. Um, so, and we talked about this, you know, I, I think that the, that the uh, I'd like to see a show that takes place in the distant past. Yeah. Of Star Wars. That'd be cool. or, or even the distant future. <laughs> like something 300 years into the future. Outside of the Skywalker saga. Outside of the Skywalker yeah. saga, yeah. you know, kind of yeah, because I think that needs to, you know, as much as I love Luke Skywalker and the sky, you know, that needs to kind of. I do like that. that we're getting some of that. And that's why I do think going to another galaxy does help because mm-hmm. it um, does open the world up. Per- Peridia yeah. is supposed to be like this uh, channel of the force incarnate basically yeah. and i don't want to say where it started but like a, a super gateway for the force to yeah go out throughout well, all of the universe aren't they supposed to be doing a a, a a series or a movie i don't know if it got canceled or what that talks about the first jedi like the early um, at this point maybe? i think it's been i think it's been put on hold because okay. of everything that was going on with the um with the the writer uh, strike Right. Oh, and the actors are still on strike. SAG after still like, we want more money. It's like, hmm. Okay. Um, actually, from what I understand, if season two goes into play, like it there's there's a fan theory that's been circulating on social media that there is another god of mortis that we haven't that we've only been introduced yeah, to. Yeah, that was yeah, that was what I was um, gonna mention. It's a, an entity called Abeloth or the beloved mm-hmm. queen of the stars uh, or the bringer of chaos is a force entity with dark side powers and immortality. And she's, she almost is like an eldritch God in the star Wars universe. Like, mm. like the way that she's described and, and the, the design of the character is reminiscent of, of um, something very Lovecraftian, which could be very cool if that is, if, if that's something, because if, if, if the other Mortis gods, we've got the father, the son and the daughter, and they're representative of 
balance uh, the dark side and the light side, respectively. I very make it very much makes me curious as to the nat- like the nature of Abeloth, because Abeloth, like I said, is a bringer of chaos. Chaos is the opposite of of balance, mm-hmm. right? But it's not the opposite of people get confused with chaos and the dark side, right? Dark side is just another form of order. It's a evil form of order, but it's a form of order. So is the light side balance. Chaos would be the pure opposite of order and balance. Mm -hmm. So I think the theory and or whatever is in legends is, is that the three of them, the father, the son and the, and the daughter banded together to imprison, imprison uh, Abeloth on Peridia. Mm. And because and this is, this is where I think everything ties together with, um, uh, with Balin's goal is he's not, sp- I said, he, is he the, the son? Whatever. I think he's going to go try to quote free Abeloth. Cause he is, he wanted to see the end of the cycle of everything that's going on and the way to do that is to just cause chaos and so i think that light in the distance at the end where he's looking off he's like i'm gonna go free abeloth and bring just just reset everything and i think that's his ultimate goal yeah Hmm. well we are getting to that time Yes, this has been an awesome conversation. Uh, for those of you awesome. listening in, um, if you if you have your own theories, uh, wherever our comment section is, uh, whatever platform you're using, go ahead, leave a comment about what you think about uh, the Ahsoka series from beginning to end. Uh, any fan theories that you've got, things that you would like to have seen done differently. Uh, maybe we're wrong and if everything was perfect, probably not likely. But we're not. Um, Tell <laughs> we're not wrong. No, um, <laughs> never. But go ahead and, and leave those things in the comments, and we would love to hear your opinion as well. Yes. So uh, as we're wrapping up, Travis, how can uh, how can people out there find you? How can they find Bar Banter? Yeah, so the Bar Banter podcast, uh, you can listen wherever you get your podcast: Apple, Spotify, uh, Google Podcasts. I think is still a thing basically where you get your podcast will be there you can also follow us on twitter instagram youtube we have lots of shorts we have lots of i'm hoping to put long form content on there and uh, it's a great time we talk about dumb things that you talk about at the bar things like what's the best starburst flavor or which muppet would make the best assassin so follow us uh, wherever you can grover <laughs> yeah. elmo elmo those are Sesame Street characters. They're still Muppets. They're not. I learned that. They're not Muppets. They're not. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. All right. Uh, fun fact. As as fun for fact. Me, yeah, fun fact. Uh, as for me, you guys can find me on Instagram and, and X at uh, GKJ underscore publishing, where I talk about my books. I also talk about my show, The Right Way, which is on YouTube. Just go to youtube.com slash C slash GKJ publishing. And on the show, The Right Way, we talk book recommendations, uh, author interviews, and we talk about uh, creative writing tips. Right now, this season, the creative writing tips are focused on writing poetry. My October uh, episode just launched this last Saturday on the 14th, where you have a a top 10 recommendation list from author Thea Landon, an interview with fantasy author, who uh, a Georgia native, actually, uh, Hank Silver, and uh, tips on how to write haiku 
Uh, I have a live stream coming up this Saturday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time where I'll be talking about my writing projects and uh, anything else. And, of course, I'll be pitching War of the Stars. All right. As for us right here, of course, if you want to get a hold of us, the best way to do that is through our email. That is warofthestars1 at gmail.com. That is also our X handle. All other social medias are under War of the Stars, a Star Wars podcast. You can also find us as part of the Geek News Now Network. We are it is the exclusive home for War of the Stars. And we are now officially on iHeartRadio as well as all other podcast Give it up platforms. Um, just search for Geek News Now and we'll be part of there. Also, you can check me out with my daughter every week as part of Star Wars Through the Eyes of a Child on YouTube. Uh, that is also on our GN, the GNN web YouTube ch channel and on the War of the Stars YouTube channel. We are going through all of the Clone Wars in canonical order and discussing that afterwards. Uh, having a lot of fun. We need to get caught up. Um, if you want to support the show, patreon.com forward slash War of the Stars. Or you can go to our merch store. Merch store. Uh, just go to Spreadshirt.com and search for Award the Stars, and you can check out the merch there. Uh, that will go a long way to support the show. I believe that is it. Uh, anything, anything else? All right. Uh, as always, remember, this is not just my Star Wars. This is not just your Star Wars. This is our Star Wars. Until next week with our special guest. Oh, next week, special guest. I think we can announce it now. Former co-host Will, a.k.a. Darth Tuba, will be joining us next week to talk about his trip on the ill-fated Galactic Star Cruiser. What, they hit a space world. iceberg or something? <laughs> Pretty much. Yes, it was called price tag. It was called a price tag. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Until next uh, time. Uh, yes, may the force be with you. This is the way. <laughs>